When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Are you being influenced? If you've watched a blockbuster film in the last decade, there's a chance it's been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. In Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. And for a limited time, you can watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Unhinged. Extreme. The worst kind of bigot. Those are the words that the establishment media used to describe my co-host because they were shocked. They were appalled to find out that there is at least one Republican in the country who has not completely changed his views of the Constitution over the last seven years. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is sponsored by American Hartford Gold. If you're like me, then you are growing more and more concerned about the state of our country and about your own future. Inflation is at the highest rate that we've seen in 40 years, and interest rates are skyrocketing. In fact, market experts like Jamie Dimon, who is the CEO of J.P. Morgan, are not only predicting that we will face an economic recession, they're using phrases like economic hurricane and unprecedented. If you want to protect your future, then do what I did. Call the only precious metal dealers that I trust, American Hartford Gold. They can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by diversifying a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. All it takes to get started is a short phone call, and they'll have physical gold and silver shipped directly to your door or perhaps into your IRA or 401 And they make it easy. They're the highest rated firm in the business with an A plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver and a free safe on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. 
Call them now. Call 855-768-1883. That's 855-768-1883. Or if you prefer text messaging, you can text the word CACTUS to 65532. Again, the phone number is 855-768-1883. Or you can send the word CACTUS via text message to 65532. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles. Senator, before we begin, I want to get to a ton of mailbag questions today because we have a ton of new subscribers because you and this show and even the series, the subscriber-only series cloakroom of this show have been all over the news all week because you had the gall, the temerity to express the view on marriage that was held by literally every single person in the country, including Barack Obama, about 10 or 11 years ago, and you expressed a view of the Constitution that has been held by conservatives since time immemorial. How dare you, sir? (laughs) We are living in a strange and bizarre land. I will say we've crossed a threshold. So multiple times on Verdict, this podcast has driven the agenda and discussion And indeed, we've seen the Biden White House from the press room podium responding to this podcast and multiple times. This week, however, we crossed a new threshold. It wasn't just verdict that was driving the news. It was cloakroom, which is, as you noted, the paid subscriber service on Verdict Plus, that one 18-second snippet that got put out, and it's actually, it's a fascinating illustration of the lefty Twitter media world. So one lefty hack on Twitter put out this 18-second snippet of Cloakroom. Every other blue-check lefty immediately amplified it, and within minutes, just about every corporate media outlet was running with it as their key story, and it culminated, amusingly enough, this week in Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, denouncing me on the Senate floor as unhinged Mm. based on that 18-second snippet from Cloakroom, the paid show on Verdict Plus. That, that, (laughs) we just need to mark that, uh, that, that, that new territory because left-wing Twitterverse media industrial complex is truly remarkable. And and apparently they're not as cheap as I thought they were because they're shelling out for the extra service so they can watch the subscriber-only show. So, 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 and I do need to say to every communist, to every leftist, to every Marxist, to every person trying to destroy the country, obviously you need to subscribe to Verdict Plus because you can't know what these nefarious conservative constitutionalists are doing unless you subscribe. <laughs> and so I, I will take great pleasure uh, at, at, at the Marxist helping fund our podcast and keep this operation going, spreading truth uh, through their absolute sea of lies. That's right. You, you'll really show us libs by subscribing and, and watching all of the content that we put out here. Not, not only did your comment drive the news cycle, Senator, it also uh, led to a vote in the House of Representatives to codify the, the Obergefell decision, actually, I'd go a little further. Has a podcast ever driven a vote the next week in the U.S. House of Representatives? I, 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 I'm not this aware of that threshold ever being crossed. 
So the the House Dems bring this up, and it was obviously a ridiculous vote. There is absolutely no risk of the Supreme Court overruling Obergefell. The court majority in Dobbs said as much. Clarence Thomas, in his concurrence, suggested perhaps we should revisit that in some other cases. He couldn't get a single other justice, including any of the conservatives, to sign on to that. So there, there's really no, as a political matter, there's no risk of this whatsoever. And then the, the Democrats bring this bill uh, out of their sheer shock and anger that you haven't changed your view on marriage from the view that's been held for all of human history and your view of the Constitution, even more importantly, the way the Constitution should be interpreted and understood. And, and the vote comes up in the House and 47 House Republicans vote to enshrine a new definition of marriage. Yeah. So let's take those one at a time. Let's let's start with what actually I said on cloakroom. So the 18th snip, second snippet that they seized upon is where I said that Obergefell was clearly wrong. It was wrongly decided, um, which is exactly what I said the day it came down. It's what I believed then and every day since then. And it's what virtually every conservative in the planet believed then and still believes now, even if there's some Republicans scared to say it now. Uh, in Obergefell, the Supreme Court struck down the marriage laws of states across the country, invented a brand new right. The proper way, I believe, under the Constitution to de decide the question of marriage and whether marriage should extend, extend to same-sex couples is through the democratic process. And actually, the democratic process was moving in that direction. The advocates uh, of gay marriage were winning in multiple states. They were persuading the voters and, and the democratic process was operating. Those who disagreed were, were making their case. And there was a, a full-fledged democratic debate until the Supreme Court said, no, sorry, silly people. There's only one right answer. You must adopt what we decree. Um, what they left out is you and I had, actually it was Liz Wheeler and I had an extended discussion where she asked me, the entire cloakroom focused on Clarence Thomas's concurrence in the Dobbs decision, where he called into question the substantive due process jurisprudence, and he mentioned a number of other cases dealing with contraception, dealing with sodomy, and dealing with gay marriage. And, and he suggested that those opinions should be revisited. And what I articulated at great length uh, in, in the full cloakroom podcast is that the Supreme Court said repeatedly, explicitly, unambiguously, no. We are not revisiting these precedents. Nothing in this decision calls them into question. We're not going to do it. At one point, the majority opinion says, we don't know how we can say this any clearer. No, no, no. As you noted, Justice Thomas, yes, he raised the issue. He was not joined by a single justice. So eight justices declined to join that opinion. I said that at great length. Um, all of the lefty Twitter activists, all of the corrupt corporate media ignored that entire discussion. We actually put out the entire six-minute segment. We put it out on, on social media to say, look, if you want to know what the discussion was, here's a radical and crazy idea. Maybe you could actually listen to what it was I said. Um, almost no one in the media could be bothered to do that. And there's a reason they seized upon this. This, this is, there's a broader political point. And we've talked about mm -hmm. this some on the podcast, but it's worth underscoring. Democrats know that abortion is a political loser for them. So there are a handful of left-wing activists in D.C. who are thinking, okay, 
Maybe the decision on Roe is going to be the Hail Mary that saves the midterms from the disaster it's going to be for Democrats otherwise. But real and serious Democrats don't actually think that. Elected Democrats don't think that. And how do we know that? Because their immediate reaction is not to focus on the fact that their policy preference of unlimited abortion on demand in all circumstances with no limits is now no longer mandated by by the federal courts, because that's a really unpopular position in America. But it's rather to suggest, you know what this means? They're going to take away birth control. They're going to take away the right to consensual sodomy. They're going to take away uh, gay marriage laws. Now, those are all issues that poll much better than the Democrats' radical view on abortion. And when they immediately shift to those issues, they're giving you a tell. They're telling you, just like in poker, when someone is bluffing and they, whether they twist the ring or they sweat or they fidget, they, you know, people have tells that let you know what they really think and believe. That's what the Democrats are doing. And the reason they hyperventilated in every media outlet, I got to say CNN, I sort of feel like you and I deserve a credit on CNN shows because they filled their shows this week just with us. That that was all of their content. Apparently there was nothing else happening in the world because it let them tell the story that Obergefell is going to be reversed, even though the Supreme Court said emphatically it's not going to be reversed. Right. And then, as you noted, it predicated the vote in the House of Representatives to say, if Obergefell is reversed, we're voting to enshrine gay marriage in federal law and to repeal the Defense of Marriage Act, which had passed overwhelmingly in Congress and which that crazed right-wing radical Bill Clinton signed into law. So you you get this vote in the House. I'm I'm no expert here, Senator. You know, I don't work at the Capitol, but uh, I think that means it's going to your place. I think that means it's going to the Senate for a vote. If you had asked me three days ago, I would have said this doesn't stand a chance of going anywhere. The Senate Republicans are going to stand firm. This is an obvious uh, this is an obvious issue. And yet after that vote in the House, I have to wonder, is this thing actually going to make it out of the Senate? Well, it's not clear if it's going to get floor time. And, and we've got just a couple of weeks left before the August recess when Democrats want to get home and campaign. They've got a bunch of Democrats on the ballot. Um, and there's a lot of other bad things Democrats are trying to do. So they've got a lot of legislation they're trying to ram through, including their their last gasp at, at Build Back Broke. And so there's a limited number of days of floor time. Uh, that being said, Schumer said this week he intends to take this up for a vote, which will burn several days of floor time. Uh, that was the speech where he also described me as unhinged uh, for cloakroom. <laughs> and... Uh, If it comes up, to move to proceed to the bill will take 60 votes. That's the standard rule in the Senate. Uh, It presumably will get all 50 Democrats. So the question is, does it get 10 Republicans? It got, what was it, 45 Republicans in the House? 47, I think. 47. At at least one of my colleagues has told reporters publicly intends to vote yes. That's Tom Tillis from North Carolina, who's told reporters he's going to be a yes. Um, I could tell you we had a discussion today in the Senate Republican conference at lunch uh, where there were multiple Republicans uh, who, if they didn't say yes, they sure were showing a lot of leg to, to, to use a, a, a euphemism. I don't know um, that this ought to wow. be 
this ought to be a really easy vote. Number one, because it's pure, empty political messaging. Supreme Court said they're not going to overturn a burger fail. So the entire reason Democrats are having this vote uh, is, is for political messaging and really to distract from every other aspect of their agenda that's a train wreck, which is inflation and crime and immigration and everything else. But secondly, look, my views on the substance, I believe marriage is the union of one man and one woman. And, and that's what I have always believed. It's what I believe now. There are people who disagree with me. And the people who disagree with me are entitled to their views and they're entitled to participate in the democratic process. And they're entitled to prevail in the democratic process if their arguments carry a majority vote. It is interesting. I hope it's not the case that a bunch of Republicans who used to say that quite emphatically um, no longer believe that. But but to be honest, I don't know, Michael. Of course. I mean, this is uh, I'm with you. I hold the view of marriage that has existed uh, forever. I sometimes say I hold I hold the view of marriage that Obama and Hillary and Biden and all the prominent Democrats of today held until very, very recently. And, and by the way, that the voters of California in 2008, bright blue left wing California voted for in 2008. So right. I don't know that there has been a public policy issue on which views have changed more dramatically uh, than the issue of gay marriage. And, and uh, it's on the question of life. Views of the American voters have been moving in the direction of life. But on the question of marriage, they clearly are moving in the other direction. And that's that's indisputable. And, it, and it's really quite quite uh, a remarkable journey from where even a decade the debate was. Of course. But I, I just think even for people who disagree, even for Republicans who, for whatever reason, have changed their views over the last five or seven years, this is such a nakedly obvious political trap being pointlessly as in terms of the substance of the policy being pointlessly laid out by the Democrats. The only reason is to trap Republicans. Why on earth would any of these these Republican senators take it? Those 47 in the House took it hook, line and sinker. I hope, Senator, I hope your colleagues are wiser than that. You know, I, you know who I know is wiser the uh, subscribers to this podcast. So I do want to get to some of their questions. Uh, for Enough of CNN, enough of Nancy Pelosi. Uh, first question up from Jeff. This actually does have to do with another piece of legislation that's making its way around the Capitol. Jeff says, I've been reading about a proposed reform to the Electoral Count Act. All I really know about it is that it's being pushed by Democrats and rhinos, so I instinctively don't like it. But I want to keep an open mind what is the act and should we support it? So, Jeff, a great question. Uh, and that's frankly a good instinct is if the people pushing it are, are not reliable conservatives, that ought to give you a, a really big hint the direction it's going. Uh, what is the act? To be honest, I'm not sure. Look, Democrats and a lot of wobbly Republicans who are really unhappy about January 6th and the fact that I stood up and objected I objected under the Electoral Count Act, an act that has been on the laws for 150 years. And I objected uh, on the grounds that the electoral votes were not uh, not made consistent with law. That's what the statute sets out that you can you can make an objection on. And you'll recall my I based my objection on calling for the appointment of an election commission to 
consider the evidence of voter fraud on the merits, on the substance, do an emergency 10-day audit, and determine the extent to which fraud occurred and the extent to which it impacted the outcome of the election. That was modeled after what Congress did in 1876, the election between Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel Tilden. In that election, as in 2020, there were serious allegations of voter fraud. In 1876, Congress didn't throw up its hands and say, we're powerless, we can't do anything about it. No, they appointed an election commission. It consisted of five senators, five House members, five Supreme Court justices, and they did exactly what I what I recommended. All the Democrats and some of the Republicans don't like that idea, and so this is a proposal to change that. I don't know the details of how they're going to change it because they literally have just announced it today, and so I haven't seen what they've announced. I will say, as I was walking in to film uh, this podcast, uh, some left-wing nut on Twitter, and I really do spend too much time reading what left-wing nuts say on Twitter. We all do. But, we all do. Oh, actually, it was, uh, it was a lefty reporter for the Washington Post. He tweeted out, so the only question in this bill is, do you want the decision about presidential electors made by the federal courts or made by Speaker of the House Jim Jordan and Senate Majority Leader Ted Cruz? And <laughs> I promptly retweeted him, and I said, sounds good to me. Yeah, sign so me up. I, 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 I'm sure that's their nightmare scenario. I, I was okay with it. That sounds that sounds just just fine to me. Uh, next question from Wanda: Why are January sixth? Uh, speaking of January sixth, why are January sixth defendants being held in terrible conditions on ridiculous charges when Stephen Colbert's staffers get off the hook for doing basically the same thing? This referring to uh, Stephen yep. Colbert's yep. staffers who who broke into parts of the Capitol that they weren't supposed yeah. to be in in order to embarrass Republican politicians. Because the Biden Department of Justice is fundamentally corrupt and political. It is politicized. It is weaponized. As you know, I've got a book coming out in September, the title of which is Justice Corrupted, How the Left Has Weaponized Our Legal System. It goes into this in great detail. Sadly, Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland was someone who spent over two decades on the Federal Court of Appeals he built a reputation as a fairly apolitical, uh, reasonable judge. I don't know that I've ever seen anyone trash their reputation faster than Merrick Garland has done in the year and a half he's had as attorney general. It's reminiscent of what the NFL did when they declared war on their fans and like just lit themselves on fire. Like the degree to which Garland is willing to allow DOJ to be the frontline soldiers for the partisans in the White House is unprecedented and it's dangerous. And I'll tell you, when it comes to people who are wrongfully imprisoned for January 6th, I have been pressing on it repeatedly. I've been pressing DOJ for answers. Who is in prison? What are their charges? How many of them are violent? If they committed acts of violence, they should be prosecuted. And that's my view, regardless of whether I agree or disagree with their politics. If you commit an act of violence, if you assault a police officer, you ought to go to jail. But if they didn't commit acts of violence, then peaceful protest is fully protected by the Constitution. And this Department of Justice is being used as a political weapon to persecute those who exercise their First Amendment rights in peaceful protest without committing acts of violence because the Biden White House disagrees with them. And it is shameful. It is disgraceful. And I'll tell you, every time I press the Department of Justice for answers on the January 6th protesters, comparing them, say, to how DOJ handled the violent rioters in the Antifa and Black Lives Matter riots. 
This Department of Justice essentially says, go jump in a lake. We won't tell you. It's none of your business. We're not going to answer it. And it is. And and our co- corrupt corporate media has zero, zero, zero interest in reporting on any of this. Of course. Now, assuming Republicans do retake the House, maybe the Senate in the midterms, will that give conservatives enough leverage to make some progress on this issue of the two tracks of justice, whether we're talking about the January 6th yeah. people in Colbert or, or even more broadly than that? So I hope so. And I have some some modest level of optimism. I, I think the chances of Republicans taking the House are overwhelming. They're well north of 90 percent. And I think a Republican House, the odds are very high that we will have oversight hearings on many of these topics. I expect uh, House Republicans, particularly conservatives, to be aggressive in oversight of the Biden administration. The Senate is less certain. I put the odds about 65-35 that we take the Senate. If we take the Senate, I hope the Senate engages in oversight as well. You know, there's a difference in style and temperament between House oversight and Senate oversight. House oversight is typically more partisan. It's typically more aggressive. It's it's they have bigger flamethrowers in the House. Um, They, you know, they torch each other. Many House members, D's and R's, hate each other, insult each other. Um, The Senate is a much more genteel place. Uh, When I arrived, it scared the hell out of them. Um, you know, it re- reminded me of one of my favorite comedy riffs. Michael, have you ever seen Robin Williams do his riff on golf? I think I have. Okay. It, it, it is one of the funniest comedy riffs ever done. I love it. Yeah. Language warning. It is profane, but it's Robin Williams. He's funny as all hell. And he's talking about golf and how golf is made up. And I, I listen to it regularly because it just doubles me over laughing. But at one point, um, he's talking about Tiger Woods and the reaction of sort of uptight country clubbers when Tiger Woods started showing up and, and dominating golf. And, and, and he does a, a, you know, voice of, you know, Oh my, now we're going to let him into our clubs. And it was just, you know, you, you, you can picture, uh, you know, almost invariably rich liberals sort of horrified when Tiger Woods showed up. Um, I have to admit that was a little bit the reaction when I showed up at the Senate. Some of the same folks were like, you know, oh, goodness, what is this uh, rabble rouser doing here? This wacko bird, this this uh, maniac. They were... uh, so so for those of you all who may remember, wacko bird was the term John McCain used for me. He he uh, and I was particularly gratified when some grassroots activists made a baseball cap with a picture of Daffy Duck on it and the word Wacko Bird. I keep it in my office, and it was sort of, I, I, I happily embraced the, 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 the title. Right, Look, right. the Senate, with a Republican majority, will engage in oversight. It will almost surely be more restrained and genteel than the House. But the Senate also carries with it typically a greater gravitas, a greater, a Senate hearing can can have a real impact. And so I hope we see vigorous oversight in both the House and Senate, and 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 that could help. I also expect the Biden administration to do what the Obama administration did when we had Republican majorities, which is stiff arm, ignore, defy. Um, it is one of the interesting things, watching the Dems uh, setting all sorts of precedents, including trying to prosecute Steve Bannon for defying congressional subpoenas, you know, in a few months, the other party is going to have the power to issue subpoenas. And, and these are some interesting precedents they're setting. And, and, and uh, 
I'm almost certain the Biden DOJ will refuse to prosecute anyone for contempt of Congress for defying a Republican subpoena because this Department of Justice is not actually focused on enforcing the law. They, they're willing to become essentially the enforcement arm of the DNC. But real oversight, I believe, is coming. But these prosecutions, that the orange jumpsuit that is good for the goose is good for the gander. They make those sorts of things in multiple sizes. So I agree. I think the Democrats should be cautious. A question from Aaron. Is Cookie Monster racist? Uh, give me the reasoning on that. So I've picked fights <laughs> with lots of Muppets. I've picked fights That's with right. Big Bird. I've picked fights with Elmo. I've picked fights with Mickey mm-hmm. and Pluto or not Muppets, but in the sort of vague genre. But but the Cookie Monster <laughs> thing, he's blue and he likes cookies. I'm, I'm not sure. Michael, can you, you just, help me out on this? I, I can. I know. So you have been the news for, I don't know, 95% of CNN airtime this this week, but the other news story is that Cookie Monster is apparently racist at some theme park or parade or whatever. A Cookie Monster uh, figure, a person like ig- ignored some African American children. Is that was that Cookie Monster? Did or did not? It's not even really clear. He's wearing this big suit and he's high fiving people as he walks. And then there were these two little black girls and they wanted a high five and he didn't high five them. And then he kept walking. And the the interpretation of this when it was posted on Instagram was that you, it's basically David Duke wearing a furry blue suit and dressed up like a puppet. Now, maybe Cookie Monster is racist, but to jump to that conclusion to me seems a little uh, premature. So I haven't seen the video, so I can provide no direct knowledge <laughs> on it. I'm sorry I'm behind in my Cookie Monster theme park video watching. The important um, stories. But I will say this. I believe all children deserve a high five. I'm pro-child. <laughs> um, a, and, a bold and, stance. And, and, you know, if, 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 if these young children didn't get high fives, I think that was terrible, and mm-hmm. they deserve high fives. I'm against it. I'm against those... People not getting the high five that they deserve. If you elect me, high fives for everybody. Yep. And by the way, since since Big Bird and Big, Big Bird and Elmo have come out as Democrats, and the Democrats for two hundred years have been racist, you can answer your own question. You know, <laughs> if A then B, if B then C, you can connect mm-hmm. the dots using the transitive property. That's true. That's true. We're getting a little math, and it really does feel like Sesame Street. Uh, next question from. <laughs> From Caligula. I I hope not the real one. If Biden is not the Democrat nominee in 2024, who will be? Good question. So I believe Biden will not be the nominee. He's not going to run. He is too old. He is beyond capacity. He is severely diminished. Everyone knows this. All the Republicans know this. All the Democrats know this. Look, Biden is pretending he's going to run because, of course, he didn't want to be a lame duck. I I get that. That's actually the right thing for Biden to do. Any president in his position would pretend he's going to run. I don't think anyone believes it. When Biden doesn't run and he's going to delay announcing that as long as possible because he doesn't want to be a lame duck, uh, I think we're going to see a free for all bloody war in the Democratic Party. Um. I think right now Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg are firing bazookas at each other every day. I think Hmm. they are stabbing knives in each other's back. I think they are planning stories. I think it is open war. Um, I think Elizabeth Warren 
is only a hair behind them. I think Elizabeth will run as well. She's clearly ambitious as all get out. Uh, she thinks she'll run, ride the the Roe decision all the way to the Democratic primary nomination. And then Gavin Newsom is making a play from California. He's he's He no longer has Michael Knowles to torment. He no longer has the Daily Wire to torment. So now he wants to torment all of America. Mm-hmm. I do think it's funny that Gavin has gone all the way to Florida to run ads just so Ben Shapiro can see them because he <laughs> wants to chase him from the mm-hmm. Pacific to the Atlantic. That's obviously a presidential play by Gavin. And and look, I, I'm not remotely an expert on Democratic presidential primaries. But right now, I see those four as likely the top tier. I don't think... Look, you will get other people. Amy Klobuchar will run. I, I like Amy. She's, she's actually sometimes less crazy than some of the other members of her party. Yep. This is, these are slight gradations. Yeah. Um, which means to me the Democratic primary base won't want her. I, I think they haven't learned their lesson yet. They're still in crazy town. They're doubling down on crazy town. I think if Bernie were five years younger, he would run again and he could easily win the nomination. Hmm. Bernie is probably just old enough that that he suggested he's going to run. I think that's probably a head fake that 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 at this age he decides, okay, my time has passed. So my guess is those four are the top tier. Uh, if only we could get another another Bernie run. If only for the memes. But I think you're probably right. He's probably past his prime. Uh, from Anna, cultural question: Brad Pitt has set a new male fashion trend by wearing a skirt to the red carpet of his new movie premiere. Uh, that happened months after Harry Styles posed in a dress for a magazine. Senator Cruz, <laughs> Senator Cruz, do you plan to embrace this new open-minded style, or are you a patriarchal, heteronormative oppressor? Uh, option B. Option B, obviously. That was uh, clear a mile away. I got no interest in wearing a skirt. Mm-hmm. The only possible exception might be if I'm in Glasgow mm-hmm. at a party and they convince me to wear a kilt, although real Scotsmen wear nothing under their kilts. <laughs> I'm not a real Scotsman, so yeah. that does not seem at all tempting to me. It actually sounds kind of cold because Scotland mm-hmm. is really kind of cold a lot of the time of the year. And like I'm not interested in a breeze like that. That like sounds thoroughly unpleasant. All right. Mm-hmm. I will tell a story from college debating days. Um, so I'm terrified to know how this is going to connect Senator. Okay. So it involves <laughs> my alma mater and your alma mater. Now I'm really terrified to know how this connects. When I was at uh, a freshman, uh, at, at Princeton, uh, at the Yale debate tournament in the final round, there was a team from Princeton, uh, who were, uh, sophomores. I was a freshman. So I was watching it in the final round team from Princeton, really talented debaters, and a team from Scotland, uh, Glasgow A. Uh, and and the, the lead speaker there was a fellow named Austin Lally. I don't know what he's, he may be in politics or something. He was an incredibly talented speaker. He was the lead speaker for Glasgow A. And the tradition in college debate was that final rounds were typically humorous because the two teams that broke to the final round qualified for nationals. And so everyone watching the debate had lost. So they were all pissed off. And so you kind of, you tried to do a funny round to entertain the people who had lost. And so 
the Princeton team of sophomores, they got up and the case they proposed is America is better than England. Hmm. <laughs> and they, they, got, they got up and they had all of these funny reasons why America is better than England. And the lead speaker for the opposition, this fellow Austin Lally from Glasgow, he gets up and he, he's, in, he's, he's in a full kilt. So this is how it connects because <laughs> he's dressed in a full kilt. And he goes, Mr. Speaker, sir, there are few things you can do. And a Scotsman, when he's in his kilt, has a sock that goes all the way, two socks that go all the way up, and he has a ceremonial dagger in his sock. Hmm. So he pulls out the dagger and he goes, there are few things you can do to piss off a Scot more than to confuse him with an Englishman. And he sticks the dagger into the podium. <laughs> and it's just like it's stuck into the podium at Yale. The entire room erupts <laughs> in laughter. I mean, it just brings the house down. He spends the remainder of his speech just mercilessly battering my teammates. I mean, it was back and forth. The round was over at that point. Yeah. Fast forward to the very end of the round. He's clearly won the round. The very end, his last speech, as rebuttal, he's up there and he's about to close. He goes, all right, I know you've been waiting for it, so I'll give it to you. I can't give it any more, Captain. I'm giving her all she's got. And with that, again, the entire room lost it, and he returned to his seat in triumphant victory. In that circumstance, wearing a skirt, mm. which was a kilt, mm -hmm. was a strong and manly thing to do. Yes. Uh, Hollywood actors or singers doing it. Uh, let me just be mild and say, not my thing. Not, not so much. I agree. I also, by the way, Senator, do know what became of Mr. Lally. He actually became, he became the groundskeeper on The Simpsons. Which is which is <laughs> unfortunate. You know, I I know everyone thought maybe he could uh, become a big political figure, right, but that's, that, that is that's what funny. That is <laughs> funny. <laughs> all right, we I think we have time for at least at least one all or two. All right, more. And I promise you, when the libel suit gets filed against you, I will recommend a lawyer <laughs> who's really expensive to represent you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I, I know you're very busy, but if if you could get me a pricey lawyer, that'd be great. Uh, from cautiously optimistic, uh, this actually relates to school, dear senator. I'm a T14 law student who will be, I don't even know what that means, a T14 law student who will be working at a big law firm after I graduate. I'm very passionate about litigation. How valuable is it to clerk for a federal judge? Great question. Uh, massively valuable. If you want to be a litigator, it's the single most important thing you can do. Um, I clerked for two judges. I clerked for Mike Ludig, who was a judge in the Federal Court of Appeals, and then I clerked for Chief Justice William Rehnquist on the Supreme Court. I learned more each year of my clerkship than I did all of law school. It, it is the mm -hmm. single biggest thing you can do to learn to be a litigator. One of the problems in law school is, is you understand legal cases as these sort of abstract academic things. You don't understand that judges are people. You don't understand how judges actually make decisions. The interaction, particularly in an appellate court, between multiple judges, the back and forth, and clerking, gives you an inside view to it that, that, that is just, you know, I remember Chief Justice Rehnquist, it was amazing. So I clerked for him 1996 to 97. 
that was his 25th anniversary as a justice. It was, it was his 10th anniversary as chief justice. And for him, when we'd have a case coming up, um, and it was a case that you'd studied in law school and you thought of it as Smith versus Jones. You know, it was sort of an abstract, that stands for this proposition of law. What was amazing about the chief is for him, it was a memory. And it was a memory of sitting at conference with the other eight justices discussing and debating the case. And the chief would be like, oh, yes, that was the case when Thurgood <laughs> wanted to do such and such. But we didn't agree with that. And uh -huh. it just it gives you an insight hmm. into how courts actually reach decisions. If you want to do trial work. Clerking at the district court is incredibly helpful. If you want to do appellate work, clerking at an appellate court is incredibly helpful, but I enthusiastically recommend judicial clerkships. Well, uh, next question from Godzilla Rules. Do you think the Antichrist in the Bible is alive today? I don't know. Um... You know, the Bible says Jesus is coming, but no man knows the hour. And look, I grew up in the evangelical world, Southern Baptist world, where there are all sorts of things saying the Antichrist is this or that or the other. Or this is, you know, whether the Antichrist is Barack Obama, the Antichrist is Donald Trump. I've Like, whoever it is, I've heard a thousand people of the Antichrist. I, I guess I have a degree of humility in, in that if I see someone stand up and mandate that we must all get 666 tattooed on our forehead in the back of our hand, I'll be like, okay, now you're telling me somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, but short of that, I, I'm going to express, uh, look, the world could end tomorrow. It could end a thousand years from now. It could end 10,000 years from now. And, and if you look at biblical prophecy, there are all sorts of ways to interpret it that I'll just say, I ain't smart enough to say, I know the answer. Um, and so I think we should live as if we've got a whole lifetime ahead of us and we're going to have the biggest impact on our community and our neighbors and our world. And, and if, if the Savior chooses to come earlier, uh, we will welcome and celebrate that, that happy moment. But, but in the meantime, we have work to do. Right. Ready to die tomorrow, but planning to live for a very long time and get a lot of things done. And to your point, Senator, I think anyone who tells you that they understand with crystal clarity the book of the apocalypse, Revelation, or so, that is how you know with certainty that person is completely insane. They, they certainly don't know what they're talking about. But I, I do love the point. Sometimes people will ask, do you think we're living in the end times? And I always think, well, somebody's going to be living in the end times. I don't I don't think we are. I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on it exactly, but I guess somebody's going to. So I will say, so growing up in Houston when I was a little kid, for a period of time we went to First Baptist Church and the pastor there, John Bassanio, did a year-long sermon series on the book of Revelation. And I think I was like, I don't know, nine or ten years old at the time. And I thought it was fascinating. I mean, it really was interesting. And Today, Heidi and I were members at First Baptist, the same church, and, and our pastor today is, is the successor to John Bassanio, a guy named Greg Mott, is a wonderful pastor, uh, incredible man of God, very scholarly, but very humble, very down to earth, which is 
unusual for a pastor at a big church. But he did an extended sermon series on the book of Revelation uh, that was just fascinating. Hmm. And having, as a kid, listened to one, I didn't remember what what uh, the pastor said 40 years ago, but it was it was the book of Revelation is challenging, it's fascinating, uh, and there's so much imagery that, that you know, things could have all kinds of meanings, and, and, and I certainly don't purport to know which interpretation is right as to uh, what all is going to happen in the end times and, and when it's going to start. Before we go, one last question. This is from our very own Cactus. Masks are coming back to our school. We've been told it's because COVID is is getting bad again. But to me, it seems like just a way to gin up anxiety for the midterms and distract from Biden's bad policy. What are y'all's thoughts? Is manipulating COVID fear the only way for the Dems to stave off the red wave? Oh, look, I think it's 100% they're going to try something, whether it is COVID, whether it is monkeypox. I don't know what it is, hmm. but the issue set they don't want the election to be about is inflation, gas prices, crime, and illegal immigration. If that's what the election is about, Republicans are winning 50 to 70 seats in the House. We're taking the Senate with a big majority, and it is a absolute Democrat bloodbath. And so they're desperate to change the topic to anything. COVID has been a good, reliable one, so we'll see if, if they have any hook to do it, they'll try. Um, but uh, and I think masks are part of it. I also think most Americans are just done with masks. I, I'm like, I'm certainly there. But uh, um, although I will say it was thoroughly amusing. So so last week, several de- Democrats, including Chuck Schumer, were out because they tested positive for COVID. Um, I don't know if they were symptomatic or not. Uh, but I do think that that Democrats are testing much more frequently when they're asymptomatic than than Republicans are. And, and I've joked I want to inter- introduce a resolution mandating that Democratic senators must take covid tests every day. Because I, for one, don't feel safe. And even if they have no symptoms whatsoever, <laughs> if they test positive, they're out. and They can't vote on the Senate floor and they can't pass socialism, the Green New Deal and build back broke and destroy and bankrupt the country and strip our constitutional rights and destroy the republic. And it, that seems, seems only responsible. I, I think, in fact, twice a day would be even better. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and an ancillary to that is I think Democrats should be required to wear masks forever. Uh, <laughs> the only problem is their masks aren't tight enough because we can still hear them talking. Yeah, that's right. You make a great point. Maybe double mask, triple mask, 20 or 30 masks. We will find out what the next crazy issue that the Democrats want to distract with, uh, probably momentarily, because you will be sticking around for a cloakroom conversation with our friend Liz Wheeler. Uh, I'm sure CNN is tuned in. They want to set their programming for the coming week. Liz, what will you be making their heads explode with this time? Hi, Michael. Hi, Senator. Uh, good to see you both. Thanks for having me back. And Senator, aren't you the same guy that I've seen splashed all over CNN headlines and international uh, headlines all over the world for saying something, you know, something so, well, constitutional and conservative? This is what we do on the cloakroom. This is, uh, it's a really fun series that we do on your Verdict Plus community. Today, we're talking about the Wisconsin Supreme Court. The Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled on the 2020 election on the infamous drop boxes. 
and said that those drop boxes were illegal, not just for elections moving forward, but for past elections too. So we're going to talk about the legal implications of this. And, you know, CNN, we're looking forward to seeing you over there. All of the new subscribers, both conservatives and the commie lives, we will see you over there. You can actually even use my promo code, which is cloakroom, to get your first months free on your annual subscription. Go to verdictwithtedcruz.com slash plus and use my promo code cloakroom. It sounds completely uncontroversial. I'm sure that the libs will have no problem with it uh, whatsoever. <laughs> I'm going to duck out before my face is smeared on CNN. I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security Pack, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security Pack plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.